Red John, screw your head done for episode 7. Doctrine does divide, but I don't know anyone who would say doctrine divides and then not send their children to school. They are aware that the doctrine that their children are getting will divide them from those who don't know any better. That sort of elitism is fine, but doctrinal elitism in the things of God, that's a problem. The same way how we understand in every other area of life, doctrine is important. New episode coming to come. Last time the wait was a bit long, but check the topic we on. Christians have a bun around the gospel, but not every subject discussed, but afterwards, everybody with love. And let me bless the studio. Fix up the microphone, check one, two, three, go. This is Udo Ibeleme, your host, and welcome to the show. Philip Schaff, the distinguished 19th century church historian, calls the saying in our title, quote, the watchword of Christian peacemakers, end quote. Often attributed to great theologians such as Augustine, it comes from an otherwise undistinguished German Lutheran theologian of the early 17th century, Rupertus Meldenius. The phrase occurs in a tract on Christian unity written in 1627 during the Thirty Years' War, which was between 1618 and 1648 a bloody time in European history in which religious tensions played a significant role. The saying has found great favor among subsequent writers such as Richard Baxter and has since been adopted as a motto by the Moravian Church of North America and the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Might it serve us well as a motto for every church and for every denomination today? This is an excerpt from the article entitled, and this is the quote they were referring to, In Essentials, Unity in Non-Essentials, Liberty in All Things, Charity. The author's name is Mark Ross, and this can be found on Ligonier Ministries' website. Um, Ligonier.org That is L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R dot O-R-G So the title for today's episode is Unity, Liberty and Charity And uh, what we're going to talk about is How we treat with disagreements How do we as Christians treat with disagreements with each other um one thing we have to be able to do is to weigh the disagreement we have to be able to weigh the seriousness of the disagreement and we have to be able to also act accordingly these are not disagreements about whether or not um you should have extra sweet sauce in your doubles please buy me a doubles link in the description um, but this is not that type of debate, even though you should, you should have sweet sauce in your doubles, but this is not that type of debate. This is a debate about what we believe, the things that we believe, because, um, believe it or not, um, all Christians do not believe the same thing and believe it or not, um, we know that we don't all believe the same thing. There are 
some people who might be in a sort of bubble and they might not have interacted with other beliefs and they might believe that on certain things we all agree um we don't we don't all agree and you know what that's fine once we know how to handle the disagreements all is well right um now i just took the three words from that quote unity liberty and charity and uh we can pretty much divide this episode in the same way um the quote is in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty and in all things charity we need to have unity in essential issues we need to have liberty in non-essential issues to disagree and we need to conduct all discussions regarding these things with charity right we've just come out of um a time when we have started as a society deciding what is essential for other people regardless of the fact that someone may very well do something to earn a living or that at some point down the line we're breaking the supply chain of things that we believe are essential we have um decided at least at certain points in time over the past two years that certain things are essential and certain other things are not essential instead of leaving that to the and this is with regards to all things with regards to all activities that one would um would would do or not do we have determined to decide what is essential for our neighbors to do or not to do this is not that sort of thing these are very very important issues issues of what we believe when we use the word essential we are talking about our faith essential to christianity i would say essential to evangelical christianity right what are the things that we have to have unity over that we can have liberty to disagree on and of course all things being discussed with charity i want to talk about the unity part first so let's get into that there are some things that we must agree on and cannot disagree on right um i would argue for these three things um the authority of god's word the gospel of jesus christ and uh, the hatred of sin right we must agree on these three things we cannot disagree on these three things at this point these things are essential for the christian faith and if we disagree on them if one of us disagrees on them the person who is wrong is so wrong that they're outside of the christian faith so this is something that these are things that we should have unity over and that we should be fine to divide from people who don't have unity what with us on these things and uh, not consider them as christian brothers right um i'm going to go into two different passages and just draw out some some stuff that i see in there okay 
First of all, we'll go to what is usually called the high priestly prayer. That would be the Gospel of John chapter 17, right? Here, Jesus is praying for his disciples, um, with the exception of Judas, and with the inclusion of all that would hear of him and believe in him through their word, um, that is, you and me, right? So, I'm going to read from verses 17 to 23 again. That is John chapter 17, verses 17 to 23. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. All right? Some episodes ago, if not in, yeah, some episodes ago, two episodes ago, I spoke about sanctification briefly, right? That, Sanctification makes the new man, the Christian man, better, right? He's working on himself with the guidance of God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is also working in him to want to please God and to actually please God, right? So we have here in John 17, from the beginning, we see that it is the word of God that um, sanctifies us. Right? And it is the word of God that, that, that is sanctifying us unless we will believe that um, Jesus' prayer is answered, which is not somewhere that I can go. Right? So the word of God is what sanctifies his people. Sanctification comes from the word of God. So we must stand together on the word of God, on the Bible, right? The Protestant Bible. We must stand together on that. We hold to those things and those things would also make us better and set us apart for God. Jesus himself, he um, sanctified himself, meaning that he set himself apart and he was careful to observe, to do all that was in the law of God while he was on earth, right? And uh, he did that for us as well. So that um, we would be sanctified in truth. I keep saying us, but Jesus here, he hasn't said yet in this part of the scripture that I've read up to, um, well, that I'm referring to up to verse 19. He hasn't said yet that he's referring to us, but coming to verse 20, he does say that he's not speaking on, on behalf of the 11 to whom he's referring, but he's also speaking about those who would believe in him through their word, right? So that includes me and that includes you, listener, right? 
assuming that you're a Christian. So we are dealing with this and we're seeing that it has to come from the word of God. And we have to believe in Jesus through God's word as well. Um, the disciples and uh, those around them, they, they go on to being moved by the Holy Spirit, speak from God in the same way that the Old Testament writers did according to Peter, right? And they give us scripture as well. And we have to believe in Jesus through God's word, right? So we have Jesus, we are holding on to Jesus and we're holding on to the word of God. We can't, um, we can't separate on those things, right? We're holding on to the word of God, all right? And this sanctification and this holding on to the word of God and believing in Jesus through the word, what does this do? Um, it says that they may all be one. This is from verse 21. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me, all right? This unity that we want to have in the essentials is connected to the sanctification that happens in the truth which is the word of god all right so those are the things that we would have unity in we have unity in our confession of christ's lordship um we believe in jesus as he's presented by the new testament scriptures and we believe also what the Old Testament um, says about the Messiah applies to him. And we are sanctified by the word of God. And, and those things contribute to us being one and being perfected or completed in unity. And is also connected to our outreach. We see here that um, he, he, he speaks about in verse 21 and verse 23, the world believing that God the Father sent jesus so that is um all of those things are related so sanctification and the word of god and the unity all of those things are related and all of those things contribute to the world knowing that god sent jesus that jesus is the real one he's the real messiah you know all of these things contribute to that so we have that again, and we see here in the scripture, it speaks about the authority of God's word, and it speaks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? Going to move on to the next passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 24. Ah, this is a lot of reading. Let's do it. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he 
also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I see and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. All right? So that is a lot. Um, I just want to pull out some points from this passage. All right. So this is Paul writing to Christians and he is saying that um, we have to walk in a manner with which we have been called. So we all have one calling. Right. And that is reiterated when we start talking about all the things that we have one. We are we are one body. Bible describes all Christians being fitted together like a body. We have one Holy Spirit, all right? The same Spirit is gifted to each and every one of us. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. So we have one calling and we have one hope, all right? And we have one Lord, that's Jesus. We have one faith. So this faith that according to Jude was um, once for all handed down to the saints, all right? So it's a historic faith, it's a biblical faith, it's a Christian faith. We have one baptism, all right? We are all baptized into Christ. We have one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, all right? So we have one God, we have one body, one spirit, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, all right? So all kind of one, 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 one here. But these are things to unite. These are things to unite us. But these are also things to divide us from anyone else. And to say, well, okay, they are not Christian. We are. We have all of these 
things in common, the spirit and the body. and the f- We have all of these things in common. And those who don't are not a part of us. You understand? But everybody else, we are one. All right? Then this thing talks about Christ having ascended and him having descended. He ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So we, so, so again, this is part of our one faith. We have to believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension and the session of Christ. You understand? He died. We cannot, we, we cannot unite with anyone who says that Jesus didn't die. So unity around the death of Christ means separation from those who don't believe in the death of Christ. All right? It means separations from Muslim friends, for instance. You understand? Because they don't believe that Jesus died. Um, burial. All right? Resurrection. Um, this means separation from our Jewish friends. This means separation from anyone who doesn't believe that Jesus resurrected. Ascension, right? He went up. And he's seated on high. Anyone who doesn't believe any of these things, we don't have that one faith with them. They believe something else. You understand? They believe something else. So we don't have that. We're not one with those people in the same way. We are not one with those people. All right? But all of us who believe these things, we are one. All right, and we are brothers and sisters. I'm going to try to use these terms, brother, as opposed to friend, and friend as opposed to brother. Right? Um, they're both nice terms, and they show that I don't have any aggressive hostility against anyone. However, my brother is not my friend, and my friend is not my brother. I am not, for instance, a Pentecostal, but I have good Pentecostal brothers and I call them brothers. You understand? Because I do believe that we have that one body, one spirit, one calling, one Lord, one feet, one baptism, one God and Father. You understand? I believe that. You understand? But on the other hand, um, those who don't have that with me, for instance, I just, call, I just spoke about Islam, right? Um, they would be our friends, our Muslim friends. I can't call him a brother in that sense. You know, we don't have one God and Father. Don't even believe God is Father, right? These things that unite us, they also divide us from everyone else. All right. This talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, right? You interact with. Apostles and prophets, when you open your Bible, um, evangelists, we still have those and they go all over and they plant churches and they spread the gospel and um, praise Jesus for them. But the ones who you see every day, those would be shepherds and teachers, right? Pastors and teachers. Um, I doubt everyone that would preach in front of you would be a pastor they teaching right so pastors and teachers right and uh, i grew up hearing about fivefold ministry um why that's a bit difficult for me personally is because um here pastors and teachers are grouped together you know um it doesn't use the same language to separate pastor from teacher 
in the listing in the same way that um apostle prophet and evangelist and then this pastor teacher group are separated from each other you understand so um in a sense pastors and teachers forms one item on this list of four things right um that's how the language is and the new american standard bible that i just read seems to give us that language if you read probably something that's less literal it would sound the same but um pastors and teachers this pastors and teachers group these are the guys who are in front of you every week these are the guys that you see these are the guys that you're accustomed to hearing speaking to you right and they are given to us to equip us to serve to equip us for ministry and uh, that that service and that ministry builds us up and helps us to attain maturity helps us attain fullness of christ and it helps us to attain unity you understand we would attain to the unity of the faith right so teaching helps us to attain unity right it is unbiblical but true when people say things like doctrine divides that's that's unbiblical as far as ephesians 4 is concerned because this says that um the, those who are teaching those who are giving doctrine the pastors and the teachers they they what they do contributes to us being able to attain unity in the faith if they're doing it well by god's grace it will help us to attain unity in the faith right so doctrine unites and this whole section here is about the doctrine that unites and also yes doctrine divides i kept saying okay the thing that the things that bind us together as christians these are also the things that divide us from everyone else those being non-christians right so yes doctrine divides and uh, some people might say well let's not have doctrine at all because it divides the thing is that this is the doctrine that will unite all of us christians first of all if we keep doing this doctrine well and and by the holy spirit's help and over time um we have to believe according to the scripture that the doctrine will unite us the doctrine will unite all of us even if that hasn't fully happened yet so we just have to keep doing our best to get that doctrine right that's the first thing the second thing is it is only when it comes to things that are fundamental like our faith that we start seeing stuff like doctrine divides because we want to be nice and we don't want to be divided from anyone doctrine does divide but um i don't know anyone who would say doctrine divides and then not send their children to school even though it would divide them from someone else who may not send their children to school or who may not be that smart whose children may not be that smart right they are aware that the doctrine that their children are getting will divide them from those who don't know any better and uh, that sort of elitism is fine but doctrinal elitism in in the scriptures and in the things of god that's a problem um 
we have to understand that the same way how we understand in every other area of life that um, doctrine is important in this most fundamental area when we're dealing with fundamental things like um, who is God, how do we relate to him, how do we serve him, these kind of issues that we pull out of the Bible, yes, doctrine is important regardless of the fact that it divides. And don't worry about it dividing because it will unite us. It will unite us, right? So the goal is that we would have one solid doctrine. And of course, it will be held by different people with different positions in the body. body, And we see that being spoken about, right? Um, you know, there, there are different parts of the body and different joints and every individual part and the the whole body will build up itself and all of those things we see those sorts of things you know verse 15 to 16 we see we see that type of language going on there right different people but same one doctrine right another thing that's important right um as a result of the building up that 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 is supposed to happen from verse 14 um we're not supposed to be tossed by every wind of doctrine, every little craftiness and deceitful scheme. And we're supposed to be doctrinally strong. You understand? Our one doctrine and is, is not going to be affected by anything whimsical. You understand what I'm saying? That is important to note. Doctrinal ignorance is sin and leads to more sin, right? Um, we see that when it speaks about the Gentiles, not walking like the Gentiles, in the uselessness of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So the ignorance, a lot of people would um, excuse unbelievers or excuse different people or even sometimes children, and I have children, I have three of them, right? They will excuse people for doing the wrong thing and and one of the excuses that they would give for them is that they didn't know better be that as it may ignorance is many times ethical right here in verse 18 we see that the ignorance that is in the gentiles that paul is describing is because of the hardness of their heart um, proverbs 1 7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you fear God, you would know more. You understand? But the other part of it says fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you are foolish and you neglect to fear God, of course you will be ignorant. And of course it would still be your fault. You understand? So ignorance here coming from the hardness of the heart and leading to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness right so doctrinal ignorance to a certain extent and of course within within reason here um new christians um don't know anything they're not supposed to know anything and uh they should start to learn soon after they come into the faith they should start to learn right but um what we have here is Doctrinal ignorance at a certain level leads to sin and it starts with sin. It is sin and it leads to more sin. You understand? 
Now we see here that the new man, the new man in Christ, he has to put away his lust and deceit. That's at the end of the chapter, right? You have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new self, which is in the likeness of God. And it has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, right? The new man has to put away lust and deceit and walk in righteousness and holiness of the truth. How we know is lust and deceit and righteousness and holiness of the truth, right? The word of God, you understand? It has to be with the faith and the word of God. We have discussions of unity. We have discussions of the faith. We have discussions of the gospel. And we have discussions of sin, all right? I said... We are going to be united on the authority of God's word, meaning that we can't take the Bible out of it. We also can't add anything to it because when we add to the Bible, um, the sinful tendency is to let that other thing interpret what the Bible is or to only agree with the Bible in so much as it agrees with that other thing. You understand what I'm saying? Um, so that other thing can be church tradition. It can be the magisterium. It could be the church. It could be um, your pastor. It could be a false prophet um, slash con man like Joseph Smith. It could be a, a false prophet slash plagiarist. Um, relations is slash because according to scriptures... According to the scriptures, the false prophets um, borrow God's word from each other. So false prophets tend to be plagiarists. The false prophet, um, Ellen G. White, you add another authority onto God's word and you end up in problems. You end up rejecting God's word when it disagrees with that other authority. If you have, okay, you say, no, we, we, we believe in the scriptures, but this other thing, this other thing, interprets the scriptures for us or this is the lesser light that leads us to the greater light or this is the thing um through which we see the scripture we don't see the scripture through any other way right everything and everyone including your pastor including my pastor my pastors have to measure up to scripture and have to be submissive to scripture scripture has to be the 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 main thing and the only thing it has to be, right? Because otherwise you have something challenging the authority of God's word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? So we can't have Jesus and to save us. We can't just, we can't be saved by grace after all we can do. We can't um, have to, you know, trust in ourselves for salvation to any degree. We can't um, have to have other mediators that we add to Christ. We can't um, deal with an investigative judgment because, of course, the cross of Christ is not enough. So we need this other thing that's going on now that also is connected to the things we do on earth that contribute to the um, payment for our sins. Jesus is still paying for our sins up in heaven up in the temple there we can't have any of those things that would rival the gospel of jesus christ you understand main thing is jesus it has to be all of jesus 
and it has to be only Jesus. You understand? And anything that comes against the gospel adds something to Jesus, puts a little caveat in there, all of those things, say, oh, oh, you have to do this, you have to jump through this hoop or whatever, add things to repentance and faith in order for God to be cool with you. Those are things that we can, those are essential things and we cannot be united with anybody who would mess with the gospel in that way or would mess with the authority of God's word in the way that I was just speaking about. All right? And then also sin. Our attitude to sin has to be the same. We cannot be affirming of um, sexual perversions. We just got out of um, Pride Month, right? Um, we can't be affirming of sexual perversions. We can't be affirming of um, murder, right? Because another thing that happened um, last month is that um, people started complaining because they is no longer recognized by the Supreme Court of the United States as a right to murder your, your unborn child if you don't want that child, right? We cannot be united with people who do not have the same hatred of sin. We can't be united around those things. These are the essentials. As far as the scriptures I see, the authority of God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and our hatred of sin, these things are the essentials. We unite together as Christians around these things, and we divide with non-Christians who do not hold to these things. We'll be back. And now it is time for The Blind Guide with Prophet Michael Oxford. I came out of bed this morning, and I told myself, I mean, God spoke to me. And he said that it is time to end all the division in the church. There is too much division. We need to come together. We need to focus on Jesus. If we all believe in Jesus, then we are one. I see a day when we can all come together. The four Gospels and the Pentecostals, the Reformed and the Evangelicals, the Anglicans and the Lutherans, the Adventists, the Roman Catholics, the Jews, the Hebrew Israelites, the Witnesses, the Latter-day Saints, our Muslim brothers, our brothers that have achieved Christ consciousness. We all believe in Jesus, and Christ is not divided. There is no reason for division. We will come together is one, and Jesus will bring us all together. Thank you for listening. Join me, Prophet Michael Oxford, next time on The Blind Guide, where I lead you to deliverance, increase, transformation, capital, and health for the glory of God. To hear less of this, Support the Udo Bellamy Show, so that Prophet Oxford doesn't have to. Buy Udo Doubles. Link, in the description below. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So, now we're going to talk about liberty. Um... When we were talking about unity, we were talking about um, 
things that we must agree on and cannot disagree on. Here, I want to speak about um, things that we can agree to disagree on, all right? There are different positions among us Christians on things. These things are not so serious as to warrant those who are on the other side of that particular issue not being called uh, Christians. So we can have unity with that brother and have a conversation with him as a brother. It would be a, an in-house conversation. There are different um, non-essential things that I believe that I think are very, very important. When I say non-essential, I don't mean by that non-important. I do believe things are important, but I don't think that they are so important that I can withdraw my hand of fellowship from someone who is very, very much a genuine brother on the essential things that we should have unity over. You understand? I won't divide from him in that way. Of course, we, we are divided on this particular issue, but this issue is non-essential. So, for instance, um, a lot of um, theologians that I respect are pedo-baptists, right? They are Presbyterians. Um, I'm not. I'm not a pedo-baptist. I am a credo-baptist. I don't believe that baptizing infants is, is correct. Right, there are some that do. There are Presbyterians. There are um, Scottish Reformed, Dutch Reformed, Anglicans, Lutherans. They all believe all of those things, and yet these are all Christians. All right, I am a Calvinist. Um, other people are Arminians. That is also not an essential. I do believe it's very important, but it's not essential. Um, there are so many of these things for me, at least in my geographical context. I am not the typical mainstream Christian. So, except in the fact that I'm a credo Baptist, a lot of people are that, right? All of these issues, I believe them to be important. Again, not so important that I would divide with brothers over them um, and say, well, okay, this person is not a Christian because they don't agree with me on these issues. In fact, um, with Calvinism in particular, I get a bit irritated, not because I'm so upset with um, Arminians for disagreeing with me, but I get kind of upset with some Calvinists because they seem to me to be Calvinists for the sake of Calvinism. I am not... Uh, Calvin, and, and I don't even like the term t Calvinism so much not even something that he came up with or, or spoke about more than other people right I am what you would call a Calvinist not for the sake of Calvinism but I'm a Calvinist for the sake of Christianity I believe that um, the doctrines of Greece line up most with what I see in scripture on those particular topics or issues and in my bid to be uh, thoroughly consistent, internally consistent Christian, I adopt this view 
or these other views that I see to be the most biblical and to be the most internally consistent with my other beliefs and with the stuff in the Bible. So I do believe these things are important and I do believe that um, Christianity is less robust when you have other views than mine. Obviously, I have my views, but again, that doesn't mean that those who don't have these views aren't Christian, right? This is where the liberty part comes in. Um, I'm going to go through Romans 14, all right? The first thing that I see in this passage is that even though we have liberty, we can agree to disagree on these things, it doesn't mean that we then turn into relativists. What is a relativist? A relativist doesn't believe in absolute truth. We are Christians. We have to believe in absolute truth. Right? Somebody is right. And somebody is wrong. And we can debate about it. As I said, we can have in-house debates on it or whatever the case is. I think it's rather problematic though. When I'm speaking to... um, There's someone that I love very much and I speak to this person about different issues. And uh, when I press this person on these issues... Um, the response is often to give a sort of relativist concession to just back back and say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does matter. It does matter. And there is a right position and all other positions are wrong. Somebody is right and somebody is wrong. It might be me. It might be you. But somebody is right and somebody is wrong. Um, so, for instance, Romans chapter 14, right? The first two verses. And this is Paul speaking to Christians, writing to Christians. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now here's the thing. The one who is weak only eats vegetables, but the one who has faith was strong faith he eats all things so paul is telling you that the one who is weak and eats vegetables only that he is wrong describes him as weak in faith right so he's wrong on this issue he has a bothered conscience about eating meat and he shouldn't He's wrong for having that, like in terms of biblically, when you actually look at the issue. Is eating meat an issue, biblically speaking, for Christians? No, it is not. It wasn't even an issue for Jews, all right? Eating meat is not an issue, so he is wrong. We cannot make this in non-essentials, liberty, a mode by which we can go from being Christian absolutists being christian relativists so now okay well you have your truth on this issue and i have my truth no something is right something is right there's a position as far as this issue is concerned that is correct and all other positions are wrong here paul is letting you know that it is the person who is weak in faith that eats vegetables only right that person is wrong on that issue if His conscience is bothered about this. He's wrong on that issue, right? But even though he's wrong, we are allowed to disagree on these matters, right? 
verses 3 to 5, same Romans 14. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Right, so if you have an issue with meat or whatever, and you make it a religious issue that you should need meat or whatever, um, that has to be a personal thing. It cannot be something that the whole church can follow. This is this is the thing. Um, we are allowed to disagree on these matters. And what it means is that the person who is weak cannot judge. First of all, he has no rights to do that because he's wrong. But he is not to judge and no one is to hold him in contempt for his position. But his position, even though he is weaker, is not going to take over and control the whole church and everyone has to eat vegetables only because of him. That's not what's going to happen. All right? From verse 4, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So people have to be able to to be fully convinced in their own mind and to serve God earnestly with a clear conscience. When we come in before God, of course, there's no condemnation. According to the same Romans in chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You understand? Dealing with real sin from in, from in chapter 7, but still no condemnation in chapter 8. So we can't come now in chapter 14 and put condemnation on people, right? We are allowed to serve God earnestly, to serve God truly from our hearts with a clear conscience. And you can't serve God truly if you're being restricted by someone else or if um, you're being held in contempt by someone else or whatever. Let people do their stuff with a clear conscience. Um, let me read from verses 6 to 12. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. So this is speaking about um, days that you regard as holy, um, days that you observe all of those things, and what you eat and all of those things, right? So again, these things have to do with God. You have, all of these things are done in honor of God, not in honor of anything else, right? If we if we are doing these things or we have certain positions, it's unto God that we're doing it and we're doing it because we want to please God. If we are observing the day, we're observing the day because we want to please God, we're doing it for the Lord, not for any other thing. This is um a pet peeve of mine and I've expressed it elsewhere. A pet peeve of mine is seeing christians and uh, businesses and pages and all of those things that i know are led by christians wishing people eat mubarak and these sorts of things i don't mean to disrespect our muslim friends but um we do not worship these gods so why are we giving credence to something that these are not the the, the gods that we worship we observe these for the lord and we shouldn't be for even anybody else people that we don't even have unity around the gospel with um we we participate in these things to to look nice in front of them 
You understand? For not one of us lives for himself or not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So, when he speaks about the one judging the brother, he's talking about the, the weaker brother. The weaker brother is the one who he has, his conscience is affected by something that shouldn't really affect his conscience. And he wants everyone else's conscience to be affected too. He wants to bind everyone else too. So Paul is saying, why do you judge your brother? And then someone who, um, he would look at someone whose conscience is bind, bound in that way. Now, if there's an issue where someone's conscience is bound in that way and they're trying to enforce it on everyone everyone else, that is a serious problem that should be dealt with and stopped. But um, just someone who has a weak conscience, you don't just throw contempt on them, right? This is what Paul is saying here. Um, not someone who is, again, um, judging you and militating on you, shooting you with their own standard, you understand? But just someone who on their own they have a weak conscience don't have contempt for them we will all stand before the judgment seat of god for it is written as i live says the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to god this is a quotation from isaiah chapter 45 verse 23 so then each of us will give an account of himself to god these are things to keep in mind when we are attempting to serve god earnestly with a clear conscience each of us Another thing is that we should not tempt our brother to commit what he believes is sin. From verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of fool your brother's hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So, I come from a culture that does not too smile, or a Christian culture that does not smile too much on um, alcohol consumption, right? People literally treat drinking and smoking as though they are sins that the Bible speaks against, even though it doesn't. And drinking in particular is even encouraged in some cases. Um, Jesus himself turned water into wine, um, wine that was better than the wine that they had. Um, the Bible says that God has, um, he makes and provides for wine to gladden men's hearts. You understand? The Bible has an issue with drunkenness, not with um, drinking. Um, even so, um, there's a way in which, there's a way in which I can enjoy the freedom I have in Christ to drink. And there's another way in which I can flaunt 
the freedom I have in Christ and uh, do evil to my brother who has a conscience issue or who may have been a drunkard before he came to Christ, you understand, um, and, and cause him to stumble and I don't want to do that, all right? If one does something, he believes to be sin, he has indeed sinned and that's why we shouldn't um, cause our brothers to stumble, right? The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Alright? So, if someone does something while they think it's a sin, even though it might not be a sin, biblically speaking, they are sinning. In intention, you understand? Because they don't have faith for whatever they're doing you understand if if that's where their conscience is if that's where their heart is and they're still going to do that thing they're sinning in intention you understand um god cares about the heart supremely um we see that not just in the words of jesus you know um you have heard you shall not kill but if you hate your brother in your heart you've heard you shall not commit adultery, but if you lost after a woman in your heart, not, not even just that. The 10th commandment back in Exodus says you shall not covet. Don't even think about somebody else's wife. Don't even think about somebody else's things. You understand? God is concerned with the heart as well. That wasn't like a crime in Israel or anything. That's something that God has to adjudicate. But at the same time, it was against God's law and a part of the covenant that God made with Israel. That you are not to watch anybody thing with your long eye. Not, you're not to do that. God is concerned with our hearts. You understand? Finally, as I wrap up here, all things are to be done in charity. There is one way in which we must agree and disagree. That's charity. Um, if you have a King James Bible, you hear the word charity, your mind should go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, right? I'll read it in, in the New American Standard Bible that I have here. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, is not, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the attitude that we should have with regards to our agreements and our disagreements. Now, this is not niceness. This is charity. This is not niceness. This is love. All right? Even the, the, the unity that we have is in love, right? Colossians chapter 3 from verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful all right and the same word the same charity word that's used in first corinthians 13 is used in romans 13 from verse 8 all right and uh, this brings us back again to what is love right 
our main ethical concern is, if you guys remember, to love Yahweh, our God. Secondary ethical concern is to love our neighbors ourselves. And what defines this? Romans chapter 13, from verse 8 to verse 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is Again, a quotation from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, how do we exercise charity in all things? We don't have our own romanticized, um, nice standard of what love is and we apply it to all our discussions. We don't... um create something where we take our agreements and we 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 take our disagreements and we don't handle them the way we sh- we we should we skirt around things that are important and we have good faith debates in that sense we don't do that what we do is that we have our dealings all of our dealings including agreements and disagreements according to the law of god Once we are acting in accordance with the law of God to those with whom we have unity and liberty to disagree and from those with whom we are divided by faith, we are to act through the law. The law is to govern our actions, all of our actions, all of our agreements and all of our disagreements. All right. Finally, um, I want to remind you guys to buy me a doubles. Right at this point in time, the show is being sponsored by a gentleman by the name of Michael Oxford who calls himself a prophet. You guys, please come on, just help me out. I I I can't <sighs> because he he will have to come back here again if if um you guys are not buying doubles. Come on, come on, buy some doubles, and let me get rid of Prophet Oxford. Anyhow, thanks for listening as always. See you guys in two weeks. Praise Jesus. You made it through the whole episode, the show done. Hope you get some positive in the nucleus. You know, a proton. Anyhow, you know the slogan. Praise Jesus.